It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha coming at you to break down UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov coming up this Saturday night, Nick. An interesting card with kind of a crossroads matchup between Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov. And quite frankly, a lot of like names that we're very familiar with on the undercard as well. Yeah, this is a, a pretty stacked card for hardcore MMA fans. Lots of intriguing matchups. You've got some vets that have been around for 15 plus years. You've got some new faces. You've got some fillers. You've got some sleepers from the 125 pound division. It's uh, it's got a little bit of it's got a little bit of everything. I'm uh, I'm pretty intrigued overall. I think there's a couple of layup fights in here that are that are I don't want to call them gift fights, but I see a, a few things in here where it, uh, it seems pretty clear who the who the victor should be. But we've also seen how that goes. Um, I also just want to know how's how's it been the last two weeks not having any victories, having a winning percentage of zero. <laughs> you are one and zero so far this season, Nick. And it oh, so my winning right. percentage is infinity, and your losing percentage is infinity. Fair enough. I'm not sure how that math works, but it works for me, Nikolai. Infinity. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right after dominating you for the last couple of years, week. Nick. What do you mean dominating me? You won by like two fights last year. Well, was... dominating because I, I've won. Um, I've won. I think our first two or three seasons. And just starting off on the wrong foot on this one. I don't like it. It reminds me of early in that first season, Nick, when we started this podcast, when you were kind of kicking my ass for like three or four episodes, maybe five or six even. Yeah, I had a, I've just been gathering intelligence since then. And I feel this like. This entire time. <laughs> yeah, this entire time. I'm a slow, I move at my own pace. Um, <laughs> MMA has been, you know, interesting stuff going on though. You've got Ben Askren lined up to fight Jake Paul, which I don't like. Uh, yeah, and I, mean, I think the reason you and I don't love it is because there's a chance that Ben Askren will lose. There's like a pretty decent chance that Ben Askren will lose in a boxing match to freaking Jake Paul. I'm, pr- I'm pr- well, I know for sure that Ben Askren would lose in a boxing match to you. Um. Yeah, in a sparring <laughs> match for sure, right? But Ben Askren has like, I don't know, 30, 25 fights of fairly high level experience at this point. That's what I'm really hoping that uh, that comes through for him against Logan Paul. Uh, is it Logan Paul or Jake Paul? Jake Paul. Jake Paul. And uh, I hope that he can literally just like take some shots early on. The guy's fairly durable. I mean, he took shots from some pretty big hitters throughout his career. And I don't know that he's ever been truly knocked down. That Lawler slam could be argued, but you can't really tell for sure if he was out. And as long as his chin is good enough to take shots from, you know, some heavy high level hitters, I think he could take some shots from Logan Paul. And then I think his pressure comes in. Yeah, it's, true. yeah, it's a pressure. It's a question of how many shots. Remember, he's not going to. He can't. He's not going to be able to stand from a kicking, grappling like distance. He's going to be, you know, this is going to take place in the pocket uh, mostly. So, well, I'm, if I'm he gonna, engages in the pocket, do you think he? Well, what else? What else do you do? I mean, you, what is he got? Is he have a great jab that we don't know about? Is he going to stay like way on the outside for the entire fight? Like, I don't. I don't know. I just haven't My seen him look is real that comfortable. He'll just run, just keep running for a couple of minutes, and Jake Paul will hopefully gas himself out, and then, and then like start putting the pressure on. Maybe late second, early third round. I think these are probably two or three minute rounds. Uh, start putting the pressure on after a few minutes of fighting, and start to tire that guy, that kid out that way. So presumably he throws out a bunch <clears> of big power shots early, tires himself a bit. 
and then your pressure starts to wear on him. That's my game plan for yeah, him. Yeah, it's all just kind of a goof. It's interesting, though, because I'm going to segue here because that's really just like a money play. And we've for seen sure. arguably the biggest MMA hero of this year. I don't want to discount Max's performance, but Dustin Poirier really positioning himself in the Muhammad Lal um, territory of money weight, not because he wants to jump classes, but because he's looking for just big fights. The fight that Dustin Poirier wants most of all right now, and this isn't a guy who's scared of anybody, you know, he wants to fight Nate Diaz. He wants to fight Nate Diaz because he thinks there's a bigger payday than Chandler or Oliveira. So he's actually said, let, he doesn't care about the title shot now. He said, let Oliveira and Chandler um, fight for the vacant title. He's like, I'm going to go off and fight Nate Diaz. I would love that, and I'll make a ton of money. What do you make of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to respond because I haven't heard uh, this line about him saying, let them fight it out for the title. Um, I am shocked that he would want one of those guys to get a hold of that title and then for him to come in as the challenger. Um, my initial instinct was to say he needs to choose between either the title or fighting, fighting Nate Diaz because you can't have both with Nate Diaz's record lately. But yeah, I, I get, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I guess it's the money that he's uh, like seeking, right? In this case, like on paper, Nate Diaz should be a relatively easy win for a guy up Dustin Poirier's level. And I, I just I just feel like the title is what he's been going after this entire time. And I get him wanting to put a few million dollars in the bank to make, you know, to, to create a really nice future for his family. So maybe that's where he's coming from. Well, I can't else, blame yeah. him for it. I mean, he, he should, if he feels like he's currently the champion, I think that's fair. Like the UFC made a big blunder by trying to call Khabib's bluff. I don't, everyone else, like any real fan, anyone who listens to Khabib talk or knows anything about his character should have known when he says he's retiring because his mom doesn't want him to fight. He's not coming back. But instead they did this dance and they've kept the title on him. And that that fight that we just saw should have been for the strap. It, there is no title right now. So I think Dustin's like, well, what do you want me to do? Win it twice? Like, I think he, he's, I think he sees the big money and the big points with, uh, with Nate and good for him. Not playing, not playing the UFC's game. Yeah, as long as he's not demanding a title shot against Nate Diaz, I guess I'm okay yeah, no, with he's that. Not. I just feel like he's definitely he's putting not. himself. Yeah, I do hear that. But also, I guess presumably the idea is that whichever of those two guys win between Oliveira and Chandler, presumably they would be a slightly bigger draw going into a fight against Dustin Poirier. So maybe there's that sort of logic to it as well. I could also see Poirier just wanting to fight the likes of Diaz. Uh, Masvidal and McGregor again and just kind of make, I don't know, six or seven, ten, 10 or $12 million for his family, depending on Hood, how good his management is. And honestly, I would love that for him. The guy's definitely paid his dues. He's definitely should have earned that over the course of his entire career. And now he's in a position where he can really cash in. And I hope he's going to end up doing a better job of that than Masvidal has. Yeah. I mean, Masvidal, I think is a weird dude. Uh, much seems much stranger of a character than Dustin Poirier is. Um, yeah, as we as we dive into him more, I agree with you, man. So I mean, but you're talking about someone that grew up, fuck, you know, like fighting on sidewalks for money. So um, really, you're not you're not kidding. I wonder how much of a factor. Well, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say CTE. I guess he just has preferences that are very different from mine, and that may that may make him uh, less likable to me. But I guess like everybody's allowed their own opinion. Um, yeah, it, it's it, to me Dustin Poirier of all the of all the guys that's kind of making these demands. I think I would have been pissed off if Poirier just beat McGregor for the title, 
and then he called out Nate Diaz for the title shot or then called for a McGregor rematch. Like that would have been silly because you would hope that a guy's coming off of a win going into a title shot or going into a title match. Um, and, and then he would be in that Bisping territory where he's trying to fight guys like Dan Henderson in order to avoid a real tough uh, challenger. But look, he <laughs> well, wanted to make serious money. To, not, to, not, <laughs> not to like, cut you down a little bit too much, but it turned out Dan Henderson was a real tough challenger. Well, you yeah, recall. but you're absolutely right. But imagine how much tougher the uh, Robert Whitaker would have been right. if Dan Henderson gave you trouble. You know what I mean? Like, he clearly didn't want to fight the very best, and he still had trouble with a guy like Dan Henderson, which which goes to show you. And then he got mopped up, like, just cleaned up by George St. Pierre. Uh, and got, and well, later. Bisping looked pretty good against. I'll, to, I'll defend Bisping a little bit. I mean, he's fighting with he was fighting with a glass eye, and True. and looked pretty good for uh, for stretches of the St. Pierre bout, but and and for the Henderson bout. But that that uh, those knockdowns against Henderson were they were pretty brutal. But if you only have yeah. one eye, you can't see the shots coming, and the Gastelum shot didn't help him much either. But uh, absolutely not, and that's of course what ended his career. Look, I, I like Bisping, especially this kind of post. Uh, retirement iteration of him, but I, I, I didn't love it when he was holding up the title and wanting to defend it against people that simply did not deserve a title shot just because he wanted on paper easier matchups or matchups that would bring him more bank. As long as Dustin Poirier is not holding that title hostage, I think I'm comfortable with that. It also helps that Dustin Poirier is just like very likable and and I think the entire MMA community has celebrated the last couple of weeks with his big win over McGregor. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we've we got dive into our, this, Nikolai? Yeah, was it? It's our third card of the year, uh, although our only our second betting card. Um, but our third, our third card of the year, we've got. Um, what's the title? What's the, what's the name of this event? UFC Fight Night: Overeem versus Volkov. Yep, it'll be on ESPN Plus. It's out of the Apex in Las Vegas. It's also known as UFC Vegas 18. We got 14 bouts. And that headliner, Overeem Volkov, um, you know, guys, guys fighting to get uh, knocked out <laughs> by Ngannou or um, or Stipe or John Jones. Um, yeah, but it is a top, you know, this is a top five, uh, top five heavyweight fight. Yeah, it is, and and I'm intrigued by it. I mean, I think this is going to answer a lot of questions. Overeem has shown that the only people that can really beat him are the absolute elite. But then Volkov has recently shown that there is a decent chance. He hasn't been fighting the very elite over his last couple of fights, but there's a decent chance that he is in that category. I mean, losing to Curtis Blades in a fairly competitive decision, at least the last couple of rounds, like it's not really a whole lot to be frowned uh, upon. So you got to wonder, has Alexander Volkov finally stepped into his prime at age 32 after all his experience, after really putting his striking game together, he's been more aggressive lately. So I think that uh, those kind of dynamics is what will decide this fight. Overeem kept changing his style over the course of his entire MMA career. I recently saw a clip from uh, his pride bout back in the day. I think it was against uh, maybe Chuck Liddell. He was just such a different fighter. He was so aggressive and in some ways reckless, kind of this skinny, spinely guy. And and he went through this middle point in his career where he was just blasting through people because of all the steroids running through his veins. And then recently he's had to become a lot more defensive. And that's been working for him as well. So Intriguing to see this iteration of Overeem face this kind of best version of Alexander Volkov. So I'm looking forward to the main event to some extent, but there are some fights on the undercard that I'm looking forward to more than this one. Oh yeah, for for sure. Um, so what do you, who starts? Who's first this week? 
I believe I had the first pick last week, Nick, which gives you the first one this week. Oh, wow. Okay. You didn't see this coming. (laughs) I I did not see that coming. Um, There's lots of tasty, uh, lots of tasty first picks. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with um, the six in one fighter, the bantamweight woman, Macy Chazan, uh, to defeat the 43 year old um, veteran, Marion Renault. I think that uh, this is a very, uh, I think, unlike, you know, Lena Landsberg, who, uh, you know, who defeated her with a tough, kind of by me, they're both very big, tall, strong uh, women. If I recall, Landsberg outgrappled her. Um, am I remembering that correctly? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, second round on, she was able to take over and I think mostly outgrappled her, outclinched her. And I just think that, uh, I think the size disparity here, I think the age disparity, um, I know that Renault's done things like triangle choked Sarah McMahon, but I, I think that, that, uh, <clears throat> I think the youth strength athleticism, uh, of Macy Chazon is going to cause a lot of problems for her. And that this is going to be a fight, uh, fought largely up against the cage with Renault eating, uh, eating elbows, uh, eating punches and probably getting picked apart a bit from range. I don't see her uh, having the ability to get this fight to the ground um, as Landsberg did. Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation where Marion Renault is coming off of three losses in a row to Raquel Pennington, Yana Kunitskaya, and Kat Zangano, who I think are all ranked at this point. So these are some pretty high-level fighters, right? And given that Macy Chazon lost that fight, like you mentioned, to Lena Landsberg, I kind of consider Lena Landsberg and Marion Renault to be on a similar level. Uh, and and even though I know their skill sets are, are different, they are like just crafty, experienced veterans who will lose to even like even like the the bottom half of the top ten, but beat you know these kind of mediocre opponents. And I think it's safe to say Lena Landsberg's one of her two best wins is definitely Macy Chazon. So I'm not as confident in this pick as you are, but I am picking Macy Chazon's uh, height, strength, youth advantage against the 43-year-old Renault. I think she can land some serious clinch knees where she should be the stronger fighter. She might even be able to take top position where she's pretty dangerous despite Renault's uh, submission acumen. Obviously, she has to keep on her P's and Q's about Renault's uh, submission game off her back. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. But again, this was for, way further down my list because it's hard to trust Macy Chazon after her last two performances. Like, they weren't yeah. the kind of performances you expect from a serious prospect. So here's, I mean, here's one thing you didn't mention that is one of the reasons why I'm sticking with her. Like, mm-hmm. Landsberg has had some experience at 145, right? Like, isn't she, I just think of her as a, as a just a bigger, as a bigger, stronger presence uh, than, than Renault. I know that Landsberg is only, yeah. only an inch taller, um, but... She's been in, she's just been in there and acquitted herself, you know, fairly well um, with some, you know, with some larger, you know, she fought Cyborg. Like, so I just think that, I think that as far as, um, as far as Landsberg's strength advantage there and Yana uh, Kuniskaya is not, is not, is, you know, isn't very small either. She's also, she's 5'8". She's also fought at featherweight. That's really what it is for me. I don't think that Renault, Renault's not going up to featherweight anytime soon. So I don't think that what was Chazon's Achilles heel in that Landsberg fight um, is going to be a problem here. And so far she's, she's looked good everywhere else. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm confident in this pick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there uh, with you, at least on the pick. Uh, My first pick is going to be 
Cody Stamen to beat Askar Askar. First of all, I think it's fascinating that Askar Askar just like his parents decided to name him by his last name. It's like if you were called Brachia Brachia. No, I, had, I, I went to high school with Thomas Thomas. He's a nice guy. Did you actually? Terri- That's awesome. Terrific. Um, di- he was a, he was a champion diver. Really good. <laughs> Stamen is a prospect of 135. He has solid wrestling and developing a striking game, I think, pretty well. He's 5-2-1 in the UFC with losses to Aljamain Sterling and Jimmy Rivera, which is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. These are like skill-wise top two or three quality fighters. Askar's a sharp pressure boxer with power in his hands. He took the fight on five days' notice for the UFC opportunity, obviously. I think this would have been closer on paper if not on very short notice, but because of his wrestling and UFC experience advantage, Cody Stamen will win a decision here. Yeah, I mean... There's always the chance with these these wild cards of somebody sprinting across the cage and knocking you out, but Stamen's Stamen's too tough for that. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Although although to be fair, his opponent has Askar has some serious pop in his hand, so if he's able to get that going, it's always possible. Yeah, has Stamen been knocked out? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, he tends to lose by decision, I think. And I feel like he's he can t- he's taken some real shots too. I, I feel like he's a one of those. Yeah, he, like, he's, he's he's one of those comp, yeah. compact. Uh, you know, yeah, he wrestle, fought Alejandro. Frame. Exactly, he fought Alejandro Perez, Yidong Song. Both guys landed some power on him. Jimmy Rivera is not known for his power, but he definitely outstruck him. So, yeah, I think if he's able to uh, go through the fire of some of those guys, he can take on Askar Askar on five days' notice. Word. Uh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna continue to pick uh, women's fights. Uh, I'm gonna go with the meatball Molly McCann, although she came up on the short end. Uh, against uh, a really terrific, it turns out a really terrific fighter in a uh, Talia Santos, um, who you know who subsequently beat Jillian Robertson. Um, I don't see the meatball having much trouble um, with uh, Lara uh, Procopio. I just uh, she's a, a Novo uh, Nyao. How do you say that? Novo Novo Nyao. Novo Nyao um, fighter. Most of her fights in Shuto, recent fights in Shuto, Brazil. She had a you know a split decision win against Carol Rosa, but I think that um, I think that McCann's uh, you know her her mixed martial arts skills, her fists, and and she keeps a pretty good pace also. Um, or I just think she's all, I think she's a better round, a more well rounded fighter, more octagon experience, and the clear pick here in my opinion. Yeah, um, she actually, Laura Procopio actually lost a competitive decision to uh, Rosa, who was also f- on this card. Um, I actually, like, I realize this is risky because you... She won, that, like de- she won that decision. Procopio lost, won her UFC debut? I thought so. Let me see. Am I wrong? I'm pretty sure. No, you're right. She lost to Carol Rosa. I was, yeah. I was confused because I was researching both of them, obviously. Uh, yeah, no worries. So I actually, like, I realize it's risky to disagree with you on a women's fight, but I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I like Procopio to get a decision over McCann here. Procopio lost her UFC debut, but it was in, like, a firefight against Rosa, who's seen as, a like, a like a contender at this point in her career, right? They landed over 300 combined strikes in both those girls' UFC debuts. Plus, Procopio has a grappling advantage, and it's hard to trust McCann on the ground. McCann is hard to gauge since her losses are to like real contenders, and her wins are over non-UFC level fighters. And I think that Procopio is somewhere in between, so I think this will give us a good gauge on where McCann is. But I do disagree with the pick, uh, at least on paper. <laughs> My next pick is going to be. 
actually a fighter that you did not believe in going into his UFC debut, and that turned out to be a decent thought. Uh, I'm picking Timur Valuev to knock out Martin Day. I realize that Timur Valuev has only made his UFC debut and got knocked out in that UFC debut so far. But, I mean, if you saw that fight leading up up to the punch that he just took out of nowhere, man, he was piecing his opponent up. He looked super creative, defensively minded. His setups were really high level. Every single strike that he committed to was set up with something to make that strike land. And I I thought he looked incredible. And Martin Day doesn't, like, he's a decent striker, but he doesn't have a whole lot of power. And his defense is not great. He's very hittable considering how good he is offensively. So I like uh, Timur Valoev to finish Martin Day within 15 minutes. Yeah, I think that's likely. By the way, why was that fight turned to a no contest? Did Trevin Jones pop or something? For freaking marijuana, Nick. The Nevada Uh, State Athletic Commission is ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty stupid. Uh, Good pick, good pick. I'm not surprised you made that one. I'm gonna go with what I think is a layup on uh, on this card. I'm gonna I'm I'm surprised you didn't grab this. I'm gonna go with um, the very active during COVID uh, striker Yusef Zalal, um, who's getting getting right back in there following um, his first his first UFC loss, which was to Ilya uh, Tapuria, a really awesome prospect, um, and he's fighting Sung Woo Choi, uh, a Korean fighter uh, who we've not seen in a little over a year and uh, was an early victim to Evloev um, and subsequently uh, lost to Gavin Tucker. Um, both no, no shame in, in those before rebounding with a win over Suman Mokhtarian. Um, I don't know how impressive that is because I can't actually picture him off the top of my head. Nah, Mokhtarian not, is not very good. Mokhtarian's not very good. Uh, Zalal is a really, really, really great sh- uh, striker. He's gonna he's gonna have trouble with with um elite wrestlers but i uh and and super powerful people um and although he's, he's a he's a big dude i don't i see Zalal uh being able to piece up uh choi sung woo um more or less wherever you know wherever he wants i think that we're i think we're gonna see some fla- i think we're gonna see some flashy striking i think we're gonna see some good defense um and really good head movement um, I don't know if I got the knockout, but I see I see him uh, just leading the striking battle uh, for three rounds. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there on the pick, uh, and this was in, the, in my top, you know, four uh, I think picks. My only concern is that Zalal took this fight on a few days' notice, but I I just feel like he's very good everywhere, and Troy is mostly like a like a good fighter on the feet. He's mostly a concern there, whereas Zalal is super comfortable, like you said. So, yeah, I'm there with you. I think that Zalal should be able to get back into the win column after yeah, a loss also, to a guy that's seen as a, a very near-future contender. And I think, I think I mean, Zalal's been at, you know, listen, he's a friendly guy. He's a good interview, charming kid um, with an action-striking style who's been jumping in whenever the UFC calls him. So I, he's been training, waiting for the call. I'm sure they have him on speed dial. So I'm not I'm not worried that he's been at, at um, you know he's been at COVID friendly buffets lately. <laughs> um, I am going to pick for my next one, Nick. I'm going to take Carolina, Caroline Rosa Savedo to beat Jocelyn Edwards. Wow. I- I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, given your expertise, uh, particularly with the women's fights. But I just uh, like Edwards is I like Carolina Rosa. Rosa's output is insane and Edwards takedown defense isn't great. On top of that, Edwards is happy to stay on her back 
to work for submissions rather than working to get back up to her feet. And Rosa does go for takedowns. Um, and I also don't think it helps Edwards that she took this fight on just a few days notice, even though she looked pretty decent uh, at points in her UFC debut, like that wrestling element and that get up game is concerning to me, the lack of it, I should say. So I'm definitely picking Carolina Rosa, who's seen as a real prospect here. Uh, might be a little bit too big of a favorite, but I think she's going to do well in this one. It's, uh, you know, in topology, the numbers are almost split, and that has largely to do with Edwards looking impressive uh, her last time out. Um, right. <clears throat> I thought maybe you would be colored by that. I wasn't expecting you to, to pick this one, but I don't, really, I don't really see any problem with the pick. Fair enough. What's your next one, buddy? It's, uh, this is, fuck, I hate doing this. Oh, you're going to do it. I knew you would. That's why I didn't pick this one. I also see the risk in it. Yeah. I'm going to uh, <laughs> fine. I'll do it. I'm going to go with Devonte Smith. Damn it. <laughs> over Justin James. <laughs> yeah, I got you going. Um, listen, Devonte Smith's been on the sidelines ever since he walked into comma worthy before we knew that walking into comma worthy was a thing that other people would do. Um, right. So he's, that was a while ago. He's been, you know, rebuilding since then. He probably feels less bad about it now, frankly, that he's seen a, he's seen a couple of people get completely uh, and, and highly tauted fighters get slept by Worthy. Um, right. And Justin Janes has been game, and he's a, you know, Justin Janes is one of those guys who he, he fights like a like a, a semifinalist or maybe a finalist from Tough, like but not the guy that necessarily wins Tough. Like he's good, he's good, but we've seen uh, over this COVID period. Uh, we've seen him win big, you know, against against Frank Camacho, but we've also seen him get choked out after t- after taking a bit of a beating, and and we've seen him get KO'd with a body shot. Like he's a he's a beatable guy. Um, he does throw big, and Devonte Smith has to watch out for that. But if he if Smith can keep cool, there's a there's a playbook for beating Justin James. Yeah, I'm definitely there with you on the pick. I like that, like like you said, he got knocked out, but that was 18 months ago, which I assume means that he like realized the importance of letting his brain recover from that. And so he's coming back here against Justin James, who is already known for getting gassed after a few minutes on a full training camp. Imagine what this is going to be like with him taking this fight on just a few days' notice. So I think Devontae well, Smith just needs that. to get through. He's done mm-hmm. that a couple, He's done that before. He did that, I mean... Well, in his UFC debut, he was able to get Frank Camacho, yeah. Did he get, was he, but he wasn't a late replacement on one of those other fights too? Uh, I think, I think he may have been just, yeah, I I think at least one of those fights he was. I think he has two losses in the UFC uh, since then. I think one of those he was, but in either case, I think the fight that he did have a training camp for, he ended up gassing in just a few minutes. I think that was a Gavin Tucker fight, maybe. Um, and yeah, like him taking this on a few days notice again, he, he's able to finish early, right? He's shown that leading up to his UFC debut, including his UFC debut, that if he can tag you early, he can get you out of there. But if that's not the case, I wonder, man, as long as Devonte Smith has fully recovered from that knockout loss and, you know, actually took a decent break from taking head trauma, I think he should be good here. But to be honest, I have no idea what he's been up to over the last year and a half. My next one is going to be the one that you chose to skip. I might as well go with it. I kind of manipulated you into not taking it, or at least I'd like to tell myself that by saying something like, I see the risk in it, but I don't. Corey Sanhagen is going to whoop Frankie Edgar's ass. No, not at all. Actually, seriously speaking, I think there's a fair chance that Frankie Edgar can take Corey Sanhagen down. His takedown defense is not it could phenomenal. Be like, it could be like A.R. Rodriguez, but if he can't, it's going to be ugly. 
Yeah, I could I could see this being maybe not Yara Rodriguez fighting that. Corey Sanhagen's uh, ground game is really solid, but and he's like a scrambler and, and he goes for submissions from weird angles. And he was able to do that against the Sun Sao, who's like a well-respected black belt. Um, I just don't like the odds against Frankie if Frankie is able to get top position. I don't think like you're gonna just like get up to your feet or scramble to a to a possible Kimura or a knee bar with Frankie Edgar because he doesn't take the kind of risks that a Sunsau would in order to get the submission finish, right? Edgar relies on pace and takedowns to win decisions. Uh, obviously has solid boxing, although his durability is not what it used to be. And he showed in his debut at 135 pounds against Munoz that he can take some big shots and he can be okay, right? Um, he doesn't necessarily get knocked out with every shot that he takes, but Korean Zombie is a different animal. Sanhagen also relies on pace, but he has more of a striking base pressure style. He also has this height and reach advantage over most bantamweights, yeah. especially uh, Frankie He's got five, five inches on Frankie in height and two inches in reach at least. Yeah, that that's is a Frank, that's a Frankie's reach is is accurate. It's sixty eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that sounds right to me. Now the thing is that Frankie Edgar went to a decision with Max Holloway, and we know how prolific of a striker Max Holloway is, right? I don't know that we have reason to assume that that Sanhagen is something truly special. No, especially I don't think when so. you. Exactly, especially when you look at Marais, who he just came off of a knockout, and that's kind of his big claim to fame, right, in this division. And Marais looked horrible in his next fight. We now know that Marais's chin is not really there for him anymore. There's a chance that Sanhagen's the reason for that, but I tend to doubt it. Um, I think Sanhagen's kicks will leave opportunities open for Frackie to get takedowns, like against uh, Sterling and Asuncao. Both of those guys were able to get takedowns by catching Sanhagen's body kicks. Um, I don't think that Sanhagen has the kind of power that's likely to knock out Frankie, especially in a three-round fight, since you know later in a fight, maybe if, in a, if um, Sanhagen, who trains at elevation, given his conditioning, maybe he'll, he'll be firing at all cylinders and Frankie will be a little bit less durable and a little bit tired. But I kind of feel like Frankie, if he gets to the first round, you can't really finish the guy. Since Frankie was able to take almost 300 combined strikes from Pedro Munoz and Max Holloway without being knocked down once... Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that Sanhagen can knock him out, but I do think that Sanhagen pr- can probably win a decision here. It might be a close decision. And I will say if he can pull off just doing his thing to Frankie Edgar, then Sanhagen has arrived and he's probably going to be the next challenger for the belt. As long as Yan can get through Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, I think that's all. I think that's all pretty accurate. I don't really disagree. I just, I'm glad I didn't have to pick that. So thank you. Um, I hear that. Uh, just go- real quick, though, uh, Frankie Edgar bet by decision, given these odds, definitely worth investing into because I think the odds are way too lopsided. And by decision, you're going to get some really favorable numbers. Interesting. I'm going to take a look at that. Um, the one There's a fight that slipped by that we haven't picked yet, and maybe we should have. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Mike Slow Rodriguez over Danilo Marquez because Marquez, even in his last victory, I thought looked like garbage over a fighter who had no business being in the UFC. And Mike Rodriguez has been pretty good this year. I mean, he 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 got jobbed out of that win against a very tough out in Ed Herman, uh, and before yeah, yeah, yeah. that, he he beat up Prochnio. Um, he did he did lose to Da Da Unjung, who's got some firepower. But he's um, I like Mike you know Mike Rodriguez's overall game, and I think he should be able to to win two rounds just by uh, just by pressuring and 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 beating this guy up. Um, very sim, like I don't think he has he has gonna, he has to worry about um, the same kind of uh, return fire that you do with Ed Herman, and I mean the question is is Marquez going to be able to get him down and what happens there? 
but exactly. I don't think so. I think I think I think Rodriguez can hurt him before he gets taken down, uh, or potentially get back up. I'm just not that. I'm just not particularly impressed with uh with Danilo Marquez. Yeah, I'm not super impressed with Marquez either. He made his UFC debut against a mediocre opponent who I don't think I don't think has ever gotten a win in the UFC despite several outs. And then he made like the rest of his regional career against really shitty opponents, like opponents with bad records. His knockout losses against a five and five guy at the time. So, you know, there's definitely questions to uh, reasons to question Danilo, but. I do like that he's been training with uh, Kings MMA under Rafael Cordero, rubbing elbows with some of the elite in the UFC, which can go a really long way, I think, in kind of bringing you to that next level. And I believe that's been the case since his UFC debut, although he has uh, spent some time at that gym before. Um, Like you said, a lot of this depends on whether Danilo can get takedowns. And I think there's a chance that he can, which is why this was a little bit lower down on my list. But I do agree that... uh, Rodriguez has the the experience edge. He just came off of a fight with a more dangerous, more seasoned, more experienced guy who's fought much higher level of competition and arguably finished him a couple of times. So uh, I'm there with you on the pick. But again, there's reason to to lose confidence in uh, in Rodriguez given the way that fight ended and given his lack of takedown defense overall. I think my next pick is going to be in the Alexander Pantoja versus Manel Cape matchup. This one I find to be particularly interesting. Um, Cape is like a tiny Bobby Green. He's got great hands. He switches stances and talks trash throughout a fight. Uh, he has a good wrestling offense, but he gets stuck on his back if he's facing a good grappler, right? Even though Cape is skilled and experienced, I have to pick Pantoja to beat him. Even though Pantoja is not as technical standing, he hits hard, and Cape is very hittable. Plus, Pantoja is a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, which seems like Cape's kryptonite. Um, Cape, though, has gotten some fairly high-level experience in, uh, I believe it was Risen in Japan. You know, huge crowds, uh, a lot of hype with his opponents. He's faced Kyochi Horiguchi, who's extremely high level. So, you know, th- there's there's reason there's a reason that these odds are relatively close. But I still like Alexander Pantoja to get enough takedowns uh, to win. I also like that Pantoja trains with one of the guys that beat Kape uh, in uh, in Horiguchi, and and I think ATT should be able to put together a pretty good game plan, even though Pantoja's rough around the edges. Um. So you got one with Pantoja. Yes, sir. Yeah, I I am too, but I smell upset here. So we'll see. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I'm going to go with, for my next pick, I'm going to go with the main event. And I could be wrong, but I'm going to go with the Demolition Man. Does he still go by the Demolition Man? Uh, yeah, I believe he does. Alistair Overeem uh, over Volkov. And I like I like Volkov a lot. I just think this is a bad matchup for him. Um. And for a couple of reasons, the way that you beat Alistair Overeem these days is that you have insane power, and you can. He's not. I don't want to say that he's chinny. These are these are huge guys, and he's. But you know he's and he's gotten knocked out a few times, um, but it's Overeem doesn't really lose to volume strikers. Um, this this version this version of Overeem, and he's. He, I think he's he's going to be strong physically stronger. Um, he's going to be a better wrestler, and I would say they probably have the same degree or close to the same degree of of um, durability. So I think that if Overeem's too smart and crafty now, he's not going to engage. Is he a terrific kickboxer? Yes. Is he incredibly powerful? Yes. But he's not going to have the range, and he's probably not as quick um, or accurate as Volkov is with his jab. 
Um, and he could, I'm sure that Volkov could also keep him at the end of, of front kicks uh, and he can light him up with some leg kicks. I think Overeem is going to be able to he'll, he'll do that thing where he's going to slowly uh, move and pressure and get, um, get Volkov uh, up near the cage. And this is going to be a fight where Overeem either ta- I think gets a takedown against the cage and goes for a choke or a guillotine, you know, goes for a rear-naked shake or choke or a guillotine, or turns it into dirt, a dirty boxing match where he's going to have uh, more experience and more power. So I, the only, I think the only way that Alistair Overeem loses this fight is if he has, if he has like an at-range kickboxing match like he did with Fabrizio Verdum all those years ago. Um, but I don't think he's going to do that here. I think this guy, I think he's been really focused on what his path to victory is against uh, individual fighters. And I just can't see Volkov being able to uh, m- sort of manage this. She hasn't done well um, managing really powerful fighters over five rounds. So that's that's my take. Yeah, I don't I don't really cons- I don't really put Alistair Overeem in the powerful category anymore. I feel like at this point in his career, like the big you mean in, wait, you mean in terms of punches or you mean in terms of like like just like strength in terms of controlling positions um I, I guess I'm referring more to like punching power striking power in general I would say he's uh his, so he, I agree he I agree with that but yeah, I'm not, yeah, that's but that's not what I meant I meant more you, like you meant just sheer strength I see sheer strength and el- and elbow just like aggression sort of yeah aggression and overall strength versus like one shot knockout power yeah, I hear that. Um, so, I have concerns about Overeem, right? Like the clear cut, the clear cut way to win against Walt Harris was to take him down and pound him out. Granted, ideally a little bit later, since Walt Harris is dangerous in the first few minutes, um, and Overeem was like badly hurt by Harris in the first round. And the main reason that he was able to finish as quickly in the second is because Walt Harris was exhausted from trying to finish Overeem. To Overeem's credit, for the one of the few times in his career where he actually persevered through some really tough times in a fight where he was badly hurt, right? Against Augusto Sakai, he spent the first couple of rounds just like just getting, or I think maybe the first three rounds, just getting out kickboxed, like just getting out numbered. Like Sakai just kept throwing offense, uh, kept backing Overeem up against the fence, and and kept kind of putting the numbers on him. So I agree with you that the way for Overeem to win is to get top position in this fight. I'm just, it just, it doesn't seem like he's quick to go for that enough, right? He he did it against Sergei Pavlovich. He just put him down early, finished him in no time, moved on with his life. I was hoping he would do that in his last two matchups, but he hasn't. And I feel like there's something to that. He's he's a lot more defensive now. He realizes he's not as durable as he used to be. Um, also, there's a difference, like for Overeem, right? Who he loses to tends to be elite fighters with serious power. And he can lose to like the occasional uh, the, the occasional kind of up and comer who also has serious power. And that seems to be like one of the keys, but then he tends to beat guys like Olenek, Sergei Plavlovich, Walt Harris, Augusto Sakai, right? Uh, Fabricio Verdun, Mark Hunt. These are very not well-rounded fighters. And there's an argument to be made that Volkov is not very well-rounded. He's mostly a kickboxer, but I think his skills are good enough to at least survive under Overeem for a round or two if he needs to. And his output on the feet will be much higher and I'm not sure that Overeem will be stronger in the clinch, although he might be. He might be more technical there. So I, I had a, a lot of a lot of issues making this pick. I ended up siding with Volkov ever so slightly. I might just change my pick back to Overeem if you know I see a couple of interviews or something or, or, or the weigh-in or something. But as of now, I'm leaning toward Volkov. Um, 
I, I realize there's a lot well, of he, he is the, he is the favorite. I mean, it's not. Oh, a, is he is he a favorite? That's interesting. How much of a favorite is he? Um, a good shit. I mean, they oh, say yeah, slight, wow. minus but one eighty I mean, or so. Yeah, minus one ninety is what I'm looking at. That's that's that is very significant and, and honestly surprising. Like I would expect it to be close in either direction. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that Overeem's and Overeem's forty here. now, but but their reach is about the same. Yeah, yeah. Even though uh, Volkov is a couple of inches taller, three inches, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning toward Volkov ever so slightly because I think that he has a lot more gas in his tank. I think at age 32, he is the best version of himself. And I think he gave Curtis Blades the most trouble of anyone outside of obviously Nganu, who was able to finish Blades twice. Um, I, I, I like where Volkov is at at this moment. And again, the way that Alistair Overeem got smoked by Volkov, right? The way that Overeem got ran through by... Wait, you mean uh, the way that Overeem got smoked by who? Not Volkov. Uh, I'm sorry, by Blades is... is I'm sorry, who, who I was referring to, right? Um, their performances against Fabricio Verdum, Overeem o- o- always had like those boring, just like difficult fights against Verdum, whereas Volkov had a pretty good performance and he was on his back against Verdum early in that fight as well, which is what makes me think that he should be fine to survive around under Overeem if he needs to. So I think the fact that this is a five-round fight makes me favor Volkov ever so slightly. So it's another one that we disagree on but i'm not yeah. like passionate about pick, the two who fights picked, we did you pick uh, you picked augusto sakai to beat over him didn't you i uh, i think i actually picked over him because of sakai's lack of five round experience oh yeah, yeah. even though I, I like sakai a lot and that's exactly how it turned out sakai did really well for three rounds and then the last two rounds he was so tired that over was able to take him down at will and then finished him in that fifth round but that's the thing like over should know that he's phenomenal from top position with his ground and pound why isn't he going for a top position sooner against some of these younger prospects like Harrison Sakai? That's kind of one of my concerns with him. Uh, but yeah, look, look, there's there's good reason to favor either guy. I think there's an argument to be made for either. My next pick is going to be, and I think I think we only have three fights left on the docket here. I'm going to take Benil Daryush to get a decision over Carlos Diego Ferreira. Wow. I like both of these guys a lot. Like I I've been following both these guys' careers. I like their personalities. I love their fighting styles and think they're not only entertaining, but these are guys that I kind of latched onto early on as just like, just guys that I could follow and hope that they progress in, in a very positive direction in their UFC careers. And that's why I hate the fact that they're facing each other. I'm kind of hoping... For the, se- for the for, second time. That's right. That's right. Although the, the first time they fought, uh, I, I did like Benil Darius, but I didn't know much about Ferreira. Ferreira is a 4-7 to seven May fighter, has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but has made his striking a major part of his game um, as he kind of breaks opponents with his relentless pressure boxing. If needed, he can always rely on his grappling to finish the job as his opponents kind of start to tire. He's on a six-fight winning streak over the likes of Jared Gordon, Rustam Kalibov, um, Marbek Taisumov and Anthony Pettis. These are not like top five uh, guys, right? But these are very impressive. Uh, I, I think check marks on your record. Daryush is also on a great streak. He's five fights deep uh, in his winning streak. He's a fast technical southpaw striker with a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt of his own. His recent wins are over prospects like Thiago Moises, Drew Dober, and Drakkar Close, which in my opinion is like fairly close in competition to the kind of guys that uh, Ferreira has been beating. Like you said, it's a rematch from 2014, right? So it's six years later. Very curious to where these guys are. First time these guys fought where it was in their 20s. Now they're in their 30s. In fact, Diego Ferreira, the guy that has less UFC experience, is actually 36 years old, right? So for him, it's like title shot or bust in the next little while. Um, he has two losses in, in the UFC, and both of them are to Southpaws and Dariush and Poirier. 
that's part of the reason I'm picking Darius here. He lost by knockout a few times, but Ferrer doesn't really have a whole lot of knockout power. And I think that Darius might be able to get takedowns. And Darius's speed advantage on the feet should kind of mitigate some of that pressure from Ferreira. So I'm going with Darius, but uh, uh, like I said, I'm hoping for a draw here. This is a really, really tough, uh, tough fight to pick. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to go against you. I'm going to pick, uh, I just think that I think his strike, I think his striking is tighter, uh, than Benio Daryush and Daryush has gotten reckless in the Dracar close fight a little bit in the Scott Holtzman fight. And he's gotten rocked a lot more, even in a lot of the fights that he went, that he, where he comes out victorious. Um, he takes, he takes some damage and I know it's be, he's been inactive for quite a while, but the Fahey that we've saw that it's been a year, a little over a year. Uh, but the Fahey that we saw like in his last like three fights or whatever was it just seemed like a new breed of guy to me. Um, like he had shown tremendous improvement. Uh, like he was transitioning to all from, across all aspects of the game super smoothly. And he just his his overall MMA game to me, uh, seems a little bit more tight, a little bit tighter. Um, and I do think he's probably a bit durable. I agree. He doesn't have, uh, KO power, but it doesn't take it, guys who are not known for knockout power have crossed Benil Dariush's eyes before or sure. rendered, rendered him in a position where he beca- can become susceptible to a rear naked choke or something, despite his terrific, uh, grappling skills. Listen, this is, this is the fight fans fight of the night. It's the one that everybody who's an MMA geek is um, is looking most forward to, and we're not sure yep. what's going to happen. Um, you might be right. This is a very, very tough one to call. Also, they're both very easy to root for. So um, I, uh, I will pick against you here, but like with my previous pick where you picked where we picked where I picked against you or you picked against me, um, it's I, I don't you know, I don't have a ton of pushback. <laughs> for I don't think you're making yeah. a poor pick at all. These this is it's why we're down to the wire here. Very different than why we're down to the wire in the next one. Well, not yes, that there's sir. two left, but the next one with known fighters, which is uh-huh. which is which is kind of the opposite. <laughs> it's like who's gonna who's gonna fuck this up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, who who do you have in that? Is that your next pick in the Johnson Green? Well, oh, because my pick's next. That's right. Um, yes, sir. Oof. Johnson still throws with fire, but he just finds he just finds ways to. I don't like watching him fight because his career could have gone another way. This is a guy with a win over Tony Fer with wins over Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier, yeah. and he's nineteen and he's nineteen and sixteen. Talk yeah. about potential, and yeah. just like so many, you know, he's two and six since twenty sixteen against. I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gagey. Josh Emmett, which a fight he was winning handily until he got KO'd. Stevie Ray, which I thought he won. And then Tiago Moises, where he, he grabbed, uh, you know, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. I just, this is not a fight that's fun to pick because you don't, you know. Um, Guido looked really good against Bobby Green. Uh, and I just can't, I can't accept that Michael Johnson's suddenly going to show up in a better headspace here. Um, it's a career that could have been really talented guy. I, I wish him the best. I cannot pick him. Uh, so instead of the 19 and 16, Michael Johnson, I will go with the 35 and 20, uh, Clay Guida. 
Um, I mean, if Guida starts boxing, he's going to get in a lot of trouble, um, most likely. But I, I think he can probably get this fight to the ground and, and maybe snatch a choke. Yeah, I don't know about a choke, although Michael Johnson will give it to him if Guida doesn't go for it, because Guida doesn't really go for a whole lot of submissions. But I agree with you, man. These guys have over 50 combined UFC fights. I mean, this is like the most grizzled veteran fight in this division I think that the UFC could make. Um, I'm there with you. I'm picking Guida to pressure and take Michael Johnson down for a decision win. Both guys are on losing streaks, but Guida still has his conditioning and wrestling. Plus, his striking defense has improved, uh, as you kind of alluded to. He looked pretty decent against Bobby Green. While Michael Johnson has never responded well to pressure, and he gets tired and loses focus by round two. So I think as long as Guida makes it through the first round without getting clipped, he should be able to grind this one out uh, as a two-to-one underdog, which is... Uh, a little bit surprising. You would think that these odds would be either closer, maybe even have Guida as a slight favorite. So I am the guys, there, with you, buddy. The guys in this cage have wins over Rafael Dos Anjos, Anthony Pettis, Tony Ferguson, and Dustin Poirier. It's freaking insane. And that's man. just and that's just some names. And then you, yeah, Nate Nate Diaz, Takanori Gomi. Right. Like that's right, man. Uh, wait, who beat Melendez? I believe Clay Guida did back in Strike Force. No, no, uh, Melendez won that fight. Really? Split, yeah, split decision. Are you sure? You're looking absolutely, at his record? Uh, yeah, but I'm not only that, but I was absolutely positive. I, used to, I was a, like 10, 12 years ago or longer than I was a huge Melendez geek. So I knew what a big deal it was when Gilbert lost, uh, lost to Josh Thompson because I believe that was his first, his first loss. Maybe you're right. Let me see this. Yeah, you're right. No, he, he had lost, lost to a she, he had lost to Ashita before that. Um, I forgot about that, but then he, he avenged the Ashita loss, um, and then yeah, and then he lost too. Um, but he was undefeated when he beat Clay Guida. <clears throat> yeah, looks like looks like you're right. He lost a split decision to him. I'm not sure why I remember that. As no, it a, looks as it a looks like I'm Guida. right. It looks like I'm right. Just like last week when my picks were right. God damn my it, vic- Nick, like, my victory. Like, we 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 both know where this competition is going to be in a couple <laughs> weeks. Like why talk trash now? <laughs> okay, so um, Guida over Johnson. You agreed with the pick. We got one left. Yes, sir. I'm going to, as my last pick, take... I think I'm going to take Denise Bondar to beat Odie Osborne. Osborne looks like pretty fancy standing and, and he like looks talented from that position, but Bondar's got like some pretty legit grappling skills. And even though I think like he's got a decent jab and he kind of pressures uh, his way into the fence and then gets takedowns, I think he'll be able to do that against uh, against this this young guy here. So I like the, uh, I don't know if he's Polish, but he's from some kind of a Slavic country. Uh, I like uh, Denise Bondar to beat Ode Osborne, probably by submission in the first or second round. He's Ukrainian. That's what it is. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're probably right. Uh, Osborne didn't look like he was in his, his place when, when, when Kelleher uh, started throwing, throwing subs on him, but he's got, you know, he's got a couple of sub, actually several sub victories. I think the smart money seems to be on Osborne. I wouldn't claim to be a master of either of these guys' oeuvres. Yeah, I do hear that. But uh, to to that point, um, Osborne now has two losses by submission. And Denise Bondar, like, he has a pretty well-rounded overall, like, like as far as his finishes. Uh, there, there's some TKOs and there's submissions, but the majority of them are by submission. He's got arm bars, rear naked chokes, arm triangle chokes. Um and yeah, I mean, that, that litters throughout his record. So I, I like his chances. And I'm not sure what the odds are like for this one, but this might also be another good betting opportunity if the odds are particularly close. Agree. Um, what, so if it's 7-7, what are we doing? What's our tiebreaker here? 
Well, we disagree on one, two, uh, according to my notes, we disagree on three fights. The Dariush Ferreira fight, the McCann-Procopio fight, and the Overeem-Volkov fight. So whoever wins two of those three between us ends up uh, winning the event in the event of a tie from our picks. Exactly. Okay, that works for me. Yes, sir. Looking forward to connecting about it next week, Nikolai. Anything else in MMA news to cover? Uh, not off the top of my head at the moment. Let me... Let me see what's going on. Let's quickly get into uh, the, just kind of list some of the fights as we normally end our episodes with of the next UFC card, oh, yeah. which is supposed to be a big pay-per-view. Unfortunately, they lost their co-main event, the UFC 258 Usman versus their COVID, Burns. Their COVID main event? That's right. Yeah, man. This one was already canceled due to COVID. I hope Burns is fully recovered, by the way. We've got Usman Burns in the main event, which is pretty phenomenal i like the the storyline with them being former training partners uh usman being an overall just incredible fighter at 17 and one a good portion of his career in the ufc at this point burns coming up to 170 and looking so good against elite level competition i'm excited for this one um especially given the fact that they know each other's strengths and weaknesses at least in the gym and i wonder kumar usman like hasn't really made major improvements on paper in the last few years right he's Give or take the same fighter. Uh, his striking has improved a bit, but he's f- f- predominantly a, a really good pressure wrestler and a pressure striker. Gilbert Burns has made some strides in the last couple of years or the last several months where Usman has not been training with him. So I wonder if that will make the difference in this one, man. And then um, obviously fun we have fights. Barber versus... Yeah, really. Yeah, fun fights on paper. Barber versus Grosso, Heinich versus Gastelum, Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. I think it's a phenomenal matchup. And... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they had fought before, actually. It's kind of surprising if they haven't, if they haven't. Pollyanna Viana versus Marilyn Mallory Martin could be interesting, I suppose. But then I feel like it kind of falls off. Eh, I don't know, dude. I'm excited for Bobby Green, Jim Miller. I think that's a really good oh, one against oh, you're right. two vets. And Ricky Simone, who looked friggin' amazing. Brian Keller, uh, yes. Ricky Simone just fought, um, I don't know, two weeks ago against Gatano Perello. Looked like a million bucks. Um, he looks terrific against Roy Borg, um, and he's fighting Brian Kelleher, who's a who's a tough out. Um, with you yeah, know, I am some, excited about that really matchup good, as well. Really good subs and some good pops. So those those two fights, I'm super excited about. Jillian Robertson, um, Miranda Maverick. Is, that's a great matchup. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's super. I think that's exciting. There's a couple. I mean, listen, like Maki Patolo is not really a UFC level guy. I think we should know at this point. But I'm not sure Julian Marquez is. Well, Julian Marquez has that knocked out Phil Hawes. I forgot about that. And he also knocked out the, dur- the durable uh, Matt Hamill. I don't know how durable he is anymore. So there's some interesting interesting stuff going on uh, on this card. I mean, the co- I don't know if they've named the co-main event, but it should not be Macy Barber or Alexa Grasso. No, it shouldn't. Um, you got to move. Mo- it should be Munoz Rivera or uh, Gastelum Heinish. But probably, Mo- I think Munoz Rivera deserves a co-main event nod there. Yeah, I would have loved to see Chris Weidman versus Uriah Hall because I think it would have answered a lot of questions about where both those guys, both those guys are in their career at the moment. It being a rematch, both being tri-state area fighters, uh, and I think the UFC was trying to book. I forget what the matchup was, but they were trying to book. I think it was was it Chandler versus Oliveira. That's what it was. Uh, they wanted to book that fight as a co-main event, kind of last minute for this one. And Oliveira basically said, "If you make it for the title, I'm in. If not, then I'm not interested." And I don't blame him. Again, like why? Are, why would somebody in in his position or Poirier's position be excited to fight a one to know UFC fighter who hasn't really paid the kind of dues that those guys paid? So kind of a weird situation there. I think if the UFC rebooks that matchup, especially with Poirier's blessing for the title, I think we can see that hopefully in the next few months. Mm-hmm. 
good stuff, man. Well, yes, we'll sir. find out. We'll find, and that, and that, that card's next weekend, right? Just no, no gap between. Yeah, it's just a week away. Um, That's right. Well, we will talk next week, and we'll see what's what and who's on top. And everyone enjoy to it, enjoy the 14 card event. I can't believe my best case scenario is like getting a draw against you. It's freaking insane. Have a great night, buddy. <laughs> you too, Stanislav. Bye bye.